Welcome to another installment of Show to V with Mike G, the show of life, the show of Utah, the show of whiskey again. Yes, it is High West Week at Show to V. Today's guest is the founder and the amazing whiskey man himself, Mr. David Perkins. We just got news from the Wall Street Journal. The Constellation Brands has acquired High West Whiskey for $160 million dollars. A pretty penny for a very great brand. Now, David doesn't dive into it. Now, we just had this chat. We're talking days before this news was announced. And you can tell why they needed the money. And I think that's the really important part of this conversation is David talks about expansion, how many stills they have set up, and what they're looking to do with this cash injection. David is a great guy. He obviously knows a shit ton about whiskey, but he's also a big fan of history. And I think there's something that if you're listening out in this interview for a nugget of sorts beyond the whiskey, there's a gentleman named Richard Burton, almost like a James Bond type that goes traveling the world and does some incredible things. David touches on a few of these. So without further ado, I hope you guys enjoyed this chat with David Perkins. To try a little harder, work a little harder, or learn a little more because yeah. it's not a job, right? So you know, I, it's nice to be considered good at it, but I put a little time into it. But you know, the time—it's not about the money; it's about love. It has to be because you Fun. can get paid to do something you don't like. You can get paid a lot to do something you, know, you don't like. Ninety percent of the people out there are getting paid to do something they don't like. Exactly. You know? exactly. So that's—I uh, mean, you know—we've all been there, and yeah, um, uh, it's nice to like what you do. What is what are some of the things for this master class tonight for whiskeys of the world that you that you want to talk about that you want to maybe education points for the, the audience? Oh, I think you know, kind of one of our premises is uh, uh, outsourcing is not bad. Yeah. Um, another premise is everything you drink's a blend, unless it says single barrel. I don't, right. Everything you drink's a blend. I don't care if it's a kombucha or Jim Beam White Label yeah, or of course. Four Roses or Woodford Reserve, uh, everything's a blend, mm. and uh, to help demystify that word a little bit, because blend's a bad word here. Why, why do you think, I mean, I have some sense of the history of blending, and it's like, well, it's got to be single barrel, it's got to be single malt, or whatever. Single malt, single barrel. Yeah, yeah. single, 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 but yeah. there is the mastery, and when I was chatting with Chris in our, our interview, he's saying that what you guys managed to do is master the blending, like show that it's a really valuable thing. Well, it's easy to screw them up and make things taste bad, or yeah. to do them well and make things taste good. And we, you know, we buy stuff from the same place as everybody else does. Yeah, um, but it doesn't taste the same. It's got well, elements it's, that are similar, but doesn't sure. fully taste the same. You know, there's. Uh, I think we've gotten pretty good at what we do. I mean, it's fun. I mean, yeah. that's the fun part. But you know, if you do it a lot, presumably you'll get good at what you do. <laughs> I, I guess that doesn't hopefully right? <laughs> that doesn't always follow. But you yeah. know, I think we've gotten pretty good at it, and you know, to appreciate what the components add and. You know, I've really gained an appreciation for the guys in cognac. Yeah. I mean, they're maestros of blending. You know, they don't really talk about it. Like, mm-hmm. well, I don't go to cognac shows like I go to whiskey shows. So maybe they do talk about it somewhere. <laughs> if they're I'm French, sh- they're, they probably I'm will sure talk they about must. <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're maestros. And even the Scotch whiskey blenders, uh, yeah. where it is, you know, a bit more highfalutin there, you know, we don't really have that, that, um, um, well, legacy or whatever. What are we gonna right. Know? tradition well, are, here y- yeah but, you but, guys are new wave right you're like the new the new front well i know. mean kind of but you know everything new is old i mean well, everything old 2009 now right is when you guys started so yeah like, yeah but but you know people were blending stuff i mean seagram's was a blending house yeah that's um, true and you know they uh they were maestros at it and they were a great company yeah um uh, but you know then they bought four roses and you know my mentor jim rutledge you know his his words to me when we started the company were oh blends are bad you know don't oh don't blend those things really yeah 
Jim said that. Uh huh. Interesting. Okay. Well, but but from the standpoint of you know, Seagram's bought Four Roses, changed it from a straight whiskey into a blended whiskey. Oh, but right. it depends on how you define the word blend. And mm. blend, in his sense, was you know the U.S. government term blend, which means a straight whiskey and a light whiskey. Yeah, gotcha. And you know they converted Four Roses from a blend of straights, which he doesn't have to call it a blend of straights, even though it's a blend of straights. Right. Um, they converted it from that to blending, you know, heavy thing and light thing. So it's like a Canadian whiskey or yeah. Seagram Seven, and you know that was his bone to pick. And I said, well, you know, Jim, you blend. And he says, oh no, I don't. I mingle. <laughs> oh, nice. And I'm like, what? Semantics. I love semantics. And I thought that's funny. And I said, Jim, that's a blend. And he says, oh no. Uh, but, but Jim, I'm doing the same thing you're doing, uh, and I have to call it a blend. Well, indeed, you know, because it's from two different distilleries. Yeah. We had to use the word blend, and uh, he introduced us to the guys at uh, Woodford Reserve. And same thing. They make a blend. Yeah. But they don't have to call it a blend. But, you know, it's a beautiful product. Yeah. I'll get to and Old Forester and the pot still mixed together. And, uh, but it's a blend of straights. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I think back to your question, I mean, tonight is to educate people on, you know, blend of straights. And, or what are these different blends? And we actually, uh, um, uh, well, we can't talk about it in Texas here, but we brought a bottle of light whiskey along. So you have to edit oh, that out. Nice. We bought some light whiskey from Seagram's. And we have people taste it. Yeah. It's the same thing as grain whiskey sure, from, sure. from UK. And, you know, no one's ever had light whiskey before because no one really sells it. Yeah. And uh, But to have people taste that and then use that as a foundation to explain, you know, blends or a blend of heavy things or a blend of heavy thing and a light thing. Right. Or, uh, it's fun to see people get that. Do, so that's do fun. Do you like to – that comp- that's the thing I think I find really compelling about blending is that, mm-hmm. well, what do – okay, what? who am I? Why? What is my preference to flavors? Do I like leather? Do I like fruits? Do I like nuttiness? Mm-hmm. And so – Kind of bringing those things together, it's really like being in the kitchen, mm-hmm. you know. And for it you, is, yeah. for you, what is there a way that you lean? Is there a particular profile that you particularly just connect with? I don't know if I have an answer to that. Yeah, because yeah, we have. I mean, almost everything we sell now is a blend, but I could say they're all very different. So sure. Campfire's got peat in it. Yeah. So it's got a fruity bourbon and and, and peat, and then there's a little rye spice in it. Uh, uh, double rye's got cinnamon in it. Yeah. Uh, rendezvous's got sort of pumpkin pie spice in it. Um, so I don't know if I have an answer. I mean, if it's a good blend, I like it. If yeah. it's not, I don't. I guess maybe that's If easy. it's good, it's good. It doesn't so, matter, right? I mean, because there's some whiskeys out there I don't sort of lean towards, and I'm not going to mention any names. Sure, there, but, sure. Um, I, and I, you know, if, it, if they sort of taste like Barbie doll heads and band-aids, <laughs> I don't like them. Um, but if they're fruity and flowery yeah. and, and um kind of estuary i like those so i that, don't like the nail polish remover flavors no that's I get exactly that sometimes, right. right yeah and that's what you mean by the barbie head well the I nail polish remover is uh is a, tones, right? a, a earlier a, a lower boiling point um congener yeah so uh ethyl acetate or acetone so so those are the heads mm. and then there's the tails that come out later so the higher alcohols those are the barbie doll heads and barbie dolls yeah so that's an interesting thing yeah it's got to be a good gig i mean you are one of the Kind of leading the frontier for, because you got all Scotland's going to do Scotland's thing. You know what I mean? Kentucky's going to yeah. do Kentucky's thing. That's it's right. a it's a behemoth of an industry. Tequila's going to do its thing. Yeah. So you're kind of like one of the leaders in the decentralized whiskey movement. Does that do you ever feel that? Do you ever feel like no? I mean, if you care? say so, that sounds. What does that mean? The decentralized whiskey movement. Well, so I think that you got Hudson right in New York. Those guys are doing this uniquely rather very unique thing but doing sure. a lot of it and building yeah. a great reputation yeah. i was doing the same thing yeah i mean i well i think for us you know it's a matter of um survival and standing out and yeah. you know getting the business going to have to be sticky or survive you know you need to be different yeah um just to get noticed and you know hopefully that difference is a good difference rather than a different difference because different differences don't necessarily they're not sustainable but right. a good difference so you know, if you find your niche or whatever, and um, I don't know if how I define our niche other than you know maybe picking rye early on to lead with that, yeah, to lead with right, just because it was a different flavor, nobody'd had the the MGP LDI Seagram's rye before, yeah. and you know now it's prolific. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but then then hopefully uh, you know to follow that on with something that's good and distinctive that has a. a communicable point of difference so the blend kind of helps with that yeah. to explain people why they think it tastes good and they have, to, they have to they believe in you too you know what i mean as a brand owner that's something that's really important is you you have lots of Fair credibility enough. i mean do you feel like you really do have to be on your game like when you're doing these public appearances because so many people do in fact look up to you um i don't know if it's a matter of that 
other than I mean, it's not that hard. I just tell the truth. I mean, yeah. So there's no game. So yeah. honestly, I mean, it's just uh, if there were if there were games and characters, perhaps it'd be a lot more difficult. Like, that's well, right. I have to do you know? I mean, I yeah, I don't like being on my game. I'd rather just be authentic and yeah. um, live my life. And because if you're on your game, then you have to kind of remember what did I say? <laughs> I don't want to. I don't have to work that hard. I'd rather work hard on being good at my craft rather yeah. than. I mean, that's a fair question. No, absolutely. No, I mean, I don't. No, so, no, I don't feel like I need to be on a game. Well, you know, just, this uh, is this is why I ask. Just be an expert in my field yeah. and, and tell the truth. You know, that's kind of the. But that's great because that's yeah. humility. You know, mm. the, the thing that the reason I ask is because I've you know seeing more and more exposure like Jimmy Russell's in the media. Mm-hmm, People mm-hmm. want to party with Jimmy Russell. He's a rock star. Isn't that amazing? It's crazy, and so he's befuddled by the whole thing. He's like, I'm just a dude. I've been doing this thing, and so that's why it's like you're you're one of those guys too. The the icons of modern whiskey. You know? And that's very nice. Socially, it's changed because it probably didn't used to be like that. But now, because people love celebrity, that's there you go. And that's kind of what mm. what I like that you're just saying, man. Well, I'm just doing my thing. I'm just being me. But people want your autograph, I imagine. Yeah, I, I it still stultifies me. See, yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's it's nice to be asked. You know, it's like wow. <laughs> so I'm so I'm happy to oblige. Yeah, well, it's yeah. good. The humility is really key, and I think that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons High West can resonate so well as a brand. You know, Chris on the team as well. You guys are really down to earth. You know, that's uh, really, really important thing. Well, thank, thank you very much. And you already—it's <laughs> not a pissing contest because sometimes it's like, yeah, but you know about these esters that express themselves in certain kind of yeast strains. And it's like, come on, it doesn't have to be like that. No, no, it doesn't. So going back then, you are—if I think I read this correctly—you from Georgia then originally. Well, I spent a good deal of my life there in high school. Yeah. I was born in Denver, though. Denver? So, oh, really? Okay. Yeah, Denver's kind of... Uh, so spiritually for me, uh, the mountains were kind of an important piece oh, yeah. of my psyche. And when I grew up, my parents both had Jeeps. Oh, wow. And I remember going to the mountains and, you know, Jeeping on Jeep trails and using the winch and going to mines. And so, but I, uh, my parents moved to Ohio and Georgia yeah. when I was after I was nine and... Uh, I always want to move back to the mountains, so that's why I'm in Utah. Did it? Fi- it felt like an absence, right? I love. I, I always missed the mountains. Once I left Salt Lake, mm. I just it, it, they, hard, they call you back. It's so beautiful, you know. Mountains are so nice. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So what kinds of things? When you, so now you're doing the high school thing in Georgia, I would imagine you're a math and science guy. But yeah, I like math and science. Yeah, I was good at. Yeah, I'm so. I, I, I'm. Uh, I confess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was good at math. I was a nerd. Yeah. That's what women find that attractive when you get older. Well, they didn't in high school. No, that's right. You yeah. had to get out of high school for yeah. it. College, you know, maybe it got a little better. Though. Yeah, the, yeah. The, glass, like the, the glasses and the gray hair. I mean, that's, that is like an Anderson Cooper thing. Women flock to that now. Yeah, Who would have thought? Yeah. Not to, not to Anderson, though. Well, not to Anderson. No, yeah. just the look. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, you know, luckily I'm happily married. We just had our. 19th anniversary. Oh, that's uh, brilliant. Two days ago, yeah. So I, I don't notice any woman flogging to me, to be yeah. honest. <laughs> Haven't noticed it. <laughs> but I mean, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad thing. Yeah. So, because I think about your stint in pharmaceuticals as well, and I think about how that could be parlayed into whiskey distilling. There's lots of connections, lots of common that's connections. That's the same thing. It is, right? Kind of, pretty much the same. I mean, I you know, I could go through a laundry list of parallels and I mean that which is in fact what I did when we got the idea yeah and uh, it's like my god you know the the parallels are amazing and it was very compelling to me and it made the leap you know did not feel that risky yeah that's so, interesting yeah. that's a, you mentioned something in the Forbes interview about be care not be careful I'm paraphrasing right but be careful what you wish for because you you're gonna get it and then you're gonna have to deal with the fact you got it Mm. Right, because it's like changing industries, but really that's not as wasn't as jarring of a change, right? Because you're dealing with things on a molecular level anyway with pharma. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I mean I look the 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 parallels were compelling enough to say you know I I had enough knowledge and experience in different areas to make the the new job yeah. kind of not be that scary. So for instance, uh, one of my jobs in pharma was forecasting. Sales. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, well, well, new drugs, you know, drugs that didn't exist yet, that didn't okay. sell yet. So, uh, we call it new product development. Mm. And um, I worked at Amgen at the time, and they, I don't know if you remember, Time Magazine, uh, you know, it's it's been a while, but remember they have their man of the year every year? Oh, sure, yeah. And one year it was a mouse. A mouse? 
And on the front cover, they had, um, you know, a, a scale with a really giant fat mouse and then two mice on the other side. Mm-hmm. And the fat mouse weighed heavier than the... Amgen had... They discovered this uh, 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 protein in, in uh, the mice's body that the fat mouse didn't have this protein called leptin. Really? And normal mice had leptin, and leptin turned off your satiety center so you would stop eating. But this, the fat mouse didn't have leptin, so it would just keep eating. Wow. And you know, this giant looked like a bowling ball. The mouse looked He's like a bowling ball. He's got nothing stopping him. So Amgen was turning it into a drug for you know obesity for people. And uh, Really? Uh, my job was to forecast how much we thought we would sell because you'd, you'd have it through clinical trials in 10 years. Mm. And so it would launch in 15 years, and you'd have to build a plant. Well, I mean, same thing as whiskey. Sure. Um, so you know, forecasting, nobody knows what will happen in 10 years, but you know what could happen. And, you know, that's the skill set of forecasting. So it's kind of, you know, that's just one little example of, you know, government or uh, drugs had the FDA, or before Mm -hmm. the FDA, alcohol is the TTB. Sure. It's just an agency of the government, you know, with people that people normally hate. You know, we hate the government. We hate control. But they're just people doing their jobs. TTP is all right. They're okay. Oh, yeah. No, they're not you bad know, at all. I'm but, not, I mean, you know, you're people that, don't like hurdles and controls. And that's yeah. like, you know, they're they're just people doing their jobs. And, you know, if you know that. And the TTP is actually less stringent than the FDA. Oh, I bet, yeah. And, uh, you know, because you could kill people with drugs and you're not going to kill people. I mean, the TTP wants their taxes. Yeah, so, that's right. You know, uh, it's a little different focus. But, again, it's, a, it's just a mindset of dealing with people that, you know, are did Helpful. you was that what was the drug that ultimately got released? Uh, it didn't work. Oh, it so, didn't work. Oh, yeah, okay. no, the the fat drug. It was you know it was leptin. Uh, oh, that's what. Was but going they on. they ran it in clinical trials for humans, and it, it it turned out that it was indeed a human issue, but it was a genetic issue for, oh, you know, wow. like two hundred people on the planet had this issue, so it worked for two hundred people. That's not that really good, really well, but it's not a big market. <laughs> that's right. So they thought it might work in other people, but you know we had no idea. So. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah. that's really. Yeah, I think pharma is very interesting. Oh, fascinating, place, man. Fascinating. Because it's so. Was that because obviously you've pursued higher education as well? So you went to Dartmouth, if I understand correctly. I did. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then you're pursuing. Was it biochemistry? Was it the proper? Well, well undergrad I was biochem, and yeah. then uh, I actually got a business degree at, uh, at Dartmouth. Oh, you so. mixed it. I mixed it. The up, details yeah. and the vision. Uh, you know, a little bit. There's business details. That, you know, they're, um, if your head's in a chemistry book, you don't necessarily know what a balance sheet is and the income statements. So That's, that makes it's important you, to learn that stuff. That gives you great weapons for the, you know what I mean? Like makes Knowledge you really, is really power. Equipped. Yeah. yeah. Knowledge is helpful. Was pharma where you had kind of seen yourself going into? Because I just wonder what that transition looks like. You're getting educated, you get a business degree, mm. you know, and in addition to biochemistry. Was that the first place, or were you thinking about maybe doing chemical engineering or anything like that, or pharma? Oh no, I, I was actually out of med school. Oh so, really? Uh, but then I uh, I saw this film of actually a, a guy from Texas, um, and I actually blacked out. This is the only time I've ever fainted in my life. I blacked out watching this film as a biomedical ethics course, in my senior year of college, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a guy that he was an oil guy. And he went to check an oil well, and it blew up, oh, and it burned ninety percent of his body. And so they showed him, you know, afterwards in the hospital, getting treated, and they would dip him in these tubs of boric acid, and wow. you know, his face was all shriveled up from the scarring, and right. you know, he had a little hole, and he would just scream, you know, uh, you know, let me. He, so he's alive now, yeah, um, and he goes around and campaigns for right to die. Oh wow! Um, but you know, that, that anyway, it impacted me a lot. I figure if I blacked out during a film, maybe I really don't want to be a doctor. Hard to stuff. deal with it, right? Yeah. What's yeah. special? Just general practitioner, or something more? Oh, I want to be a cutter. I was, a cutter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like knives and stuff. So. Blood doesn't bother you? No, not really. You yeah. know. But uh, I mean, the human agony and human pain. I mean, that was oh, that, that really bothered me. So. That's really tough. I didn't like that. So you know, going into drugs was kind of the next best thing. So. Is it? It is helping people. I mean, it Indeed, helps some people. Yeah. But it's you know, it's medicine. I like the body. I like yeah. the, uh, you know, the chemistry and. Uh, what, what year are we talking where you kind of entered into pharma? Uh, my first job out of school, it was 86. I, I got a job at a biotech company in oh, 86. Wow. Did you see, have you? That was during the AIDS epidemic, if you remember AIDS. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I was in D.C. and I worked at the NIH and, um, you know, we saw, you know, the cutting edge of, you know, they put more money into that to help solve the AIDS this year. And so I was part of a company that kind of, not AZT specifically, though, right? No, 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 no. Just we were doing molecular biology uh, reagents and tests, and you know, DNA uh, isolation tests yeah. and stuff like that. So that's crazy. So yeah. being, I find that period very fascinating because 
celebrity is a common theme. I think that's worth mentioning because people have changed in the way that they admire someone and mm. how they kind of impact the, the world. So like a YouTube video that gets a million views, that guy's or woman is celebrity now. Mm. You know what I mean? And so that's one common theme, and that's kind of why I asked you about that. But the pharma thing, too, it feels like that's changed profoundly from being something that we're just trying to stop an epidemic with the medicine to we're caught, we've caused an epidemic that we're now medicating for. Does mm. that make sense? Mm. Like that people will use, I always think whiskey's a better solution <laughs> than pills, you know, if it's a hard day at work, but. I mean, whiskey's a drug. Yeah. You know? It's, it's uh, indeed a drug, yeah, but, you know, antiseptic properties and mm. anesthetic properties and, uh, you know, um, it's a depressant. Yeah. But you know, that calms your nerves. So sure. Calming properties. But in the right, you know, in the right measurements, it's really, really perfectly fitting into the pocket of what you need, I think. And I'm not trying yeah. to romanticize whiskey, but I'm just saying that did you see in your kind of stint in pharma the dependency of the public on new and emerging drugs, maybe for ADHD or maybe for depression, that piece changing? Um, well, I don't know if that specifically, but certainly, uh, you know, drugs change our lives and yeah. they do good things. And, um, you know, we, we have one of the greatest drug discovery systems on the planet here in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and we are good at that. Uh, you know, it's driven by profit motive. Well, we're, sure. Because we're allowed to make profits. But, you know, we have great, great science. And, you know, I was able to work at two amazing, three amazing companies, uh, Pfizer, Amgen, and Genentech, that yeah. uh, are superbly run, superbly managed. And, you know, these people are smart and they care. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe not specific things, but, you know, the areas we work, cancer and, uh, you know, I mean, cancer was probably the predominant area of, of excitement, but, you know, neurodegenerative disorders, yeah. and, you know, the fact that you can try to solve those problems for mankind and make it a better place. It's kind of neat. That's so it's very, just fun places to work. Yeah. yeah. That's, I mean, that's amazing. It's nice to, to get a real humane kind of angle from you, you know. Mm. Everybody's kind, probably, that I talked mm-hmm. to you, but it seems like you were doing these things for the greater good of humanity you know people care I, I think people in most drug companies they care you yeah. know that's fun it's fun going to work and yeah you know it made it more than a job for a <laughs> lot of people and, right uh you know everything turns into job at some point well, it does because once you get that pnl out there yeah and it's a matter of just dicking around with excel then it, that's real you know yeah, that's right it turns right. into those kinds of things so yeah so it makes lots of sense so mm-hmm. working on forecasting for sales so you're getting some kind of your feet entrenched in that how do i understand how much something would sell based on what demand does or does not 10 years from now you know i don't know what's gonna happen 10 years from now yeah it's it's crazy everybody can figure out what could happen 10 years from now and uh, it's just a matter of thinking through those possibilities so even you can do it but it's just it's training and anybody can learn that so i had learned it and that that was helpful yeah so then it makes me wonder if these risks that you take are calculated because seemingly from your career you've got specific things that you're doing for a specific reason of all the places to start a distillery Seemingly, mm. Utah would be, now I love Utah, it's beautiful, grew up there, and I, I love it deeply. However, from a perspective of starting a distillery, mm. you could have picked a more difficult spot, could you? Well, I mean, they're, they're all difficult, um, but, but certainly, you know, it was measured, as you said. I mean, we, it's not like we did it in, um, um, you know, Provo. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Um, we did it in the spot where all the tourists come. So, you know, Park City has a million... Two million skier visits a yeah. year, and the uh, Sundance Film Fest too. Was Sundance Film Fest, so you know it was very calculated from the standpoint of you needed a market that came there, and, and to do it anywhere else in the state, I don't know if I would have done it anywhere else in yeah. the state other than Park City. So, because um, that was the premise of, which was sort of bolstered by people on vacation are much more likely to adopt new things. That's a good point. And uh, I mean that's a proven proven fact. And you guys think about your vacations, where you know I, I call it the Corona effect. But mm. If you go to Mexico and you know you're enjoying a beer on the beach, I mean you, if you have that beer back at home, you think about your vacation. Yeah. Um. So I wanted to capture that with the whiskey, and you know there was history of whiskey in Utah. What the, it, the Mormons made it. The miners drank it. Did the they really? Yeah, yeah. What it's so how far back does it go in Utah? Well, it actually goes back really far, super duper far. Super duper whooper far actually really? uh, to 1826. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I kid you not. Uh, everybody's seen the the Redford movie Jeremiah Johnson. Mm-hmm. You've seen it. Yeah. I th- wait, no, I have not seen it. You've never seen uh-uh. Jeremiah Johnson? Mm-mm. It's a great flick. I mean, it's who's, who's in it? Robert Redford. Oh Jesus, really? Yeah. Plenty of Redford stuff. Okay. Right. Well, well he plays it. a plays a mountain man. Yeah. He doesn't talk much. 
But he talks more than... A, what was the movie where he was in the boat? Oh, uh, All is Lost. All is Lost? Something like that. Or? I think he said one word in that. Yeah, something... That's a good word, but... It's, um, like, the, it's like, you know, Castaway. Tom Hanks, you take yeah. away the beginning and the end, he doesn't really say much of anything except Wilson, <laughs> I think, so... <laughs> That's exactly right. Anyway, uh, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, about a period of history when uh, the largest corporations of their time sent mountain men, guys, frontiersmen out west to hunt beaver. Mm. And it was a 15-year period of history, very short, but they hunted beaver uh, to, driven by economics. Back east, the raging fashion was top hat. and the best, those pelts. The top hats were made out of beaver pelts. Yeah. Right? So, uh, um, you know, and they brought... West, you know, uh, American Eastern ways with them, and uh, one of the the things they brought, indeed, of course, was whiskey. Mm. So, but we know that uh, every year they get together for a rendezvous. You've heard of the Mountain Man Rendezvous? Yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's heard of that, right? I don't know that everybody's heard of it, but it sounds more familiar to me because I lived out there. Well, fair enough. But I mean, you know, they have these gatherings. They they recreate them now, where guys put on coonskin hats and mm. you know, like sharp. the Civil War reenactment. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. They do mountain man reenactments because yeah. uh, we didn't really have the Civil War out in Utah, um, and they uh, um, would get together for an annual gathering to share their pelts for supplies. Mm. And the first rendezvous was in Wyoming. It lasted one day. Oh wow! The second rendezvous was in Utah. Logan. Logan, yeah. Um, Lasted thirty days, and they the difference was they brought whiskey, so it was just a big <laughs> drunk fest. So Wyoming th- is boring. No, no offense. That's well, beautiful. Right. But it is beautiful. Yeah. Um, but it was so we think you know tonight's a whiskey fest here in Austin. Yeah. But we think the first whiskey fest indeed was in Utah in eighteen twenty six. That's yeah. so counterintuitive yeah. if you think about it, because it all people think about is obviously, which is a lot. You know, the Mormon Church is lovely. People yeah. give this first thing they would always ask me, like, "Oh, you're from Salt Lake? Are you Mormon?" Like, no. But they're lovely, lovely people. I actually have never been yeah. around a more kind group of people in my life. But for some yeah. reason, it's just that booze is not a thing. Did it? Did it shit? So it was in eighteen twenty-seven-ish. But so well, they weren't there then. They came in uh, 47, okay, 1847. But uh, we know from uh, from first-hand accounts that they made whiskey. And the the reporter on that first-hand account was a guy named Mark Twain. <laughs> You've no heard kidding. of him? Yeah. yeah. Was he Mark Twain yet, or still Samuel Clemens? Well. Uh, you know, I don't know the answer to that. That I mean, wasn't trying to quiz you. I just I wanted to show you that I knew. I mean, him. I think it was Mark Twain <laughs> because uh, we, we he has it in his book. He's got a book called Roughing It. Mm-hmm. And it's about his journey from Missouri to Nevada. And he went there to make a fortune as a miner. He didn't. He became a reporter. Yeah. But on his way, he stopped in Salt Lake, as most people did. And, yeah. Um, he wrote about the Valley Tan, the whiskeys that the Mormons made. And uh, you know, Brigham Young had several distilleries. That's insane to me, really. Yeah, yeah. Brigham Young did. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how much they drank, but we do know whiskey you know, was important for you know, anesthetic yeah. reasons and antiseptic reasons. Um, and, uh, but it was quite, like Taos Lightning was famous in, in uh, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Valley Tan was famous in Utah, and the people that came through wrote about Valley Tan. So really? it stopped in about 1870. We're not exactly sure why, but we think that's when the Gentiles came. So Brigham kind of shut down, you know, the production of it because gen- Gentiles are bringing it anyway. Right, right. Um, but uh, we do know that Valley Tan was the Mormon whiskey, and it was quite well known. So. That's crazy. What what kinds of grains are we talking at that point? Well, you know, we we made a Valley Tan out of uh, oats because we just thought oats, but we didn't really have any reason why we thought oats just yeah sound good. So we make an oat whiskey, but we did find a, a reference in another book by another really cool guy that was kind of a reporter named Richard Burton. Not, not the one I'm thinking of. Well, not, not Liz Taylor's husband. Not Liz Taylor's okay. Indeed. No, this was Sir Richard Burton. Sir. And maybe he was a sir, too. I don't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. I think he was a sir. No, this guy was uh, in the 1800s. Okay, yeah. And he, uh, very, very famous, uh, uh, discoverer of the source of the Nile. Really? And there's another good movie. So you have a list I now. Got, yeah, Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah Robert Johnson, Redford, Robert yeah. Redford, and Mountains of the Moon. Um, it wasn't like a big Hollywood production. It was one of my favorite movies of all time, but really? it's about the discovery of the source of the Nile. And you might have heard Dr. Livingston, I presume. You've That's heard right. That, that yeah. comes from that, because uh, he, he and Stanley Speaks and uh, Livingston were kind of all converging on yeah. uh, Lake Victoria, and that's where that phrase came from. When, when, does, when, when are we when talking about the that second was, one uh, came out, that movie? So I'm gonna, you know well, I'm the, I mean, the it. movie came out in the 90s, I guess. Oh, but that, that period of history when they discovered that was probably eight. 1850-ish, yeah. uh, but Richard Burton, uh, he uh, wrote about, the, he was an expert of the world's religions, and so he went to Mecca. He was the first non-Muslim to go to Mecca. Really? 
and uh, right, you know, he disguised himself, sure. and uh, he came to Salt Lake to write about Mormonism. That's incredible. And uh, um, he wrote about the Valley of Tam. So, yeah. so does this? And does oh, anyway, there's a long way to get to no. wheat. Wheat. <laughs> wheat. He said they made it out of wheat. So there, so there you go. So we're making our Valley of Tam out of wheat now. <coughs> Did this kind of rich history entrenched or rather ensconced in whiskey imbibing from Brigham Young of all people mm. was that a good thing to cite when working with? I don't know if it's the Utah Liquor Board. I can't remember what it's called over there. Oh, they didn't care. I mean, they don't care. Uh, no, I mean most people at the Utah. Uh, the ABC, well, the people that work for the ABC, most of them are not Mormon. Um, oh, really? But the, the Liquor Commission, most of them are Mormon. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, we didn't really bring it out to rub it in anybody's face or anything like sure. that. I mean, it sort of helped us with kind of legitimacy of, you know, back to your question that That's started right. this all, why yeah. Utah? Well, there's a history of it there, so it's not like we were making rum or vodka. Yeah. Uh, but d- indeed, the Mormons made rum. They had a, a crop of beets that were going bad, so Brigham ordered beets, it to be turned right? into rum. But, yeah. Uh, um, so we're not, uh, but you know, to have a, a history and people like uh, roots, to have you know a story rooted in truth. Yeah. So I think it sort of just gave us the gumption to say, you know, this isn't a wrong thing to do. So. Had you been to Park City before? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so you kind of knew, you felt the vibe because the vibes there is totally different than it is down the mountain. In my opinion, party. yeah, I mean, it's like, a, you know, it's a party town, and yeah, uh, you a little know. looser, a little more liberal. Whether that's good or bad, depending on how people look at it, but still, that's yeah. good for whiskey. It, it it just seemed to be the right place to have a home for whiskey, and so you know, all the brand elements sort of fit uh, with you know authenticity, yeah. a real story, um, you know, a, a historic mining town where the miners drank, and you know, a current party town where the visitors <laughs> drink. Yeah. Everything sort of lined up. I mean, there was nothing. You know, there, there was no oil and water about this. It made a lot of sense. Definitely so, does. Yeah. How long was that process then when you're kind of conceiving it and actually going for licensing with the Utah ABC, I guess is what you called it, versus oh. when finally could open up? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, I mean, it's kind of hard to answer that. I mean, depending on, uh, I mean, the idea sparked in 2001. We moved to Utah 2004. Mm. Um, you know, we still didn't know it would work in 2004. And, you know, we made dollar one. Uh, Christmas 2007, so it took oh, us a long time yeah. to get there. I mean, it's a hard business with, you know, lots of, uh, you know, red tape and sure. forms to fill out. And, uh, and the way you can serve is different too, right? Having to serve food with things? Isn't that yeah. one of the conditions? Well, um, yes and no. I mean, not to make whiskey, but to have a tasting room, Yeah. Uh, yes. So we couldn't uh, provide free taste like a visitor center and Many states, not all states. I mean, most states have kind of strict laws on serving of booze. Right. You know, um, not it's not a free for all everywhere. No. And Utah certainly doesn't have the strictest rules either. So oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, like, for instance, in California, I mean, we could sell bottles out of our store uh, as soon as we started. The, they they changed the rule for oh, us. Really? In California, they just changed that law last year. Yeah, it's crazy. Well, so, then yeah. for Texas, it's uh, a year and a half, maybe now. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the Wild West, Texas, and, you know, free California, Utah had these chains well before. That's profound to think about. So, again, you know, um, the the legislature, pretty amenable to business as long as, you know, we were very respectful. Did So, I always wondered, too, you know, you you said you just celebrated recently your 19th anniversary. Your wife was a whiskey girl, too. She kind of. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? David, this is a great idea. We should do this. Yeah, pretty much. Man, yeah, I mean, great. we weren't like born whiskey people. Sure. It evolved for us, and um, I wouldn't have called us super sophisticated whiskey people when we went to Maker's Mark, which is where the light bulb went off. But, yeah. You know, we had a bottle of Jim Beam and Maker's Mark in our cabinet for sure, and um, but uh, I mean, it was pretty clear cut to us at that trip. Whiskey. That uh, wow, you know, we we liked it, and you know, just it was really easy. The ideas just flowed. And to package all these ideas, particularly Western ideas around whiskey, it just it was it just made sense. Yeah, it was obvious actually, and so that really made it easy. Yeah, that's inc- it's incredible. I mean, to yeah. have that support and like have an aha moment with somebody too, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, Jane's uh, she's pretty smart, uh, and you know, she got the branding right away, and she was instrumental in you know yeah. helping set up the brand and the ideas, and I mean, it was fun. I mean, it's it's like a big puzzle, but. Uh, you know, to, to create a brand and have all the pieces line up, um, it was just easy. Yeah, that's that's how you know yeah. it works. Yeah. Sometimes when you have to, struggle's great. Struggle's really a great thing. And mm-hmm. you, you emerge a better person. Speaking of 
all those lost in Redford being stuck on the sea, right? Yeah, yeah. right. I'm sure he emerged probably a stronger person from that. But it's also great to have these things that just work. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. you fall in love and it just works. It just yeah. makes sense. So I wonder, you know, you being very, very into the details from a chemical perspective, mm-hmm. do you are, are you interested in the branding piece of it too? Like the actual aesthetic, the bottle shape, the labels? Oh, I love the aesthetics. Like stuff? Yeah. yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, because we all know it, even if we don't think we love it, and we've all been somewhere where it just hits you like, wow, there's a lot of thought into this place. Yeah. And, I don't know, maybe we don't all. I, I sort of assume that we all. I think all. we do on some conscious But, level. I mean, everybody's been somewhere where they just are impressed with it. They can't believe somebody thought of all this stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether it's a coffee shop. Uh, I don't know, do you guys have intelligentsias here? Mm, not that I know of. Is that a, a coffee brand? Yeah, no, they, yeah they're out of Chicago, and you, you walk in, and I mean, you know, or, or Blue Bottle, have you been to Blue Bottle? I don't have those here. No, I don't think we've got those. What's the other? Houndstooth here? Is that the Houndstooth's one? great. It's kind of cool place. Yeah, really lovely aesthetic in there. Yeah. I mean, so, you know. That kind you, of concept. These places, they have this aesthetic. Even Starbucks, for that matter. I mean, sure. just to throw it down there. I mean, they have an aesthetic. And it's you're intentional, walking. too. It is. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's fun to design that and build that and be creative around it and expound off the ideas and riff off the ideas. Yeah. Uh, that's a, it's a joy. And to see it come to life and then to, you know, then you got to bring other chefs into the kitchen. I know it. You know, and uh, to have other people that get it, you know, that have their own aesthetic. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> but <laughs> two sleep tattoos of us. Yeah, they have. You know, there, there's this vibe of the people you hire that, that are part of it and get it and enjoy it and love it, and that that even that just takes it to a new level. Yeah. And How do you feel? That's the, the fun part. Do you feel the culture for High West comes from you, or you think it comes bottom up? That your folks are the ones that create the tone of the business, and then you follow well it's kind of a all the above you yeah. know i mean as employee number one for a long time certainly started with me because there's no <laughs> one else for it to come from i mean me and jane yeah. my wife uh, but uh you know when other people come in they kind of you know certainly there's what i would call culture incrementalism yeah and uh, you know things change but if, if you i mean you, you you tend to hire and have values when you hire and you know people that fit those values are probably going to help maintain the culture in a way yeah you know it's funny because it's like you just meet the right people sometimes it's like dating compatibility because chris is like as he sits right here he's kind of looking at he's a perfect match for the brand he's got good credibility in the market and stuff you know so it's like almost you just it just happens right the culture just attracts i think that's indeed a lovely thing yeah especially when we were smaller i mean when i started up three years next week I, there was this huge, I mean, go and spend two days in Utah and meet everybody, and it's this whole family thing that I kind of felt yeah. was, was happening. And so I think that's that's really important to our culture is that we do have a family vibe. Yeah, it feels like that. It feels like even from the aesthetic all the way to what you guys are trying to do, that it's very cohesive and very, very deep, deep culture. You know, like a family sense and everybody's cool. How many strong now in your staff? You're talking couple hundred. Jesus, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of weird to, to say that. I mean, we, we really have um, two separate entities in the business, yeah. one that makes the whiskey, and then we have a restaurant. Yeah. So the restaurant's where the majority of those 200 people are, you know, waiters and, and sure. uh, cooks and staff so that's, like I that. I mean, from nothing to that is an incredible amount of growth. Yeah, yeah. So I've heard some, and I don't know if you're, at what point you can talk about this or if you can't or not, so you guys, so you're saying you made dollar one in 2004, roughly? Seven. 2007, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So about 10 years into operations now, you guys have multiple SKUs. Yeah, 10 years into, yeah. I mean, that's a brilliant feat, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know which anniversary that is, the bronze anniversary or something. Sure, I don't know. I'm not sure. 20, you know, 20, 25, that's a little bit easier. But there are rumblings, and is, is there any legitimacy to this that, there's something on the table. Oh, the uh, the the Bloomberg report on uh, yeah, um, yeah, it is. Run- I mean, we've had those Romans for about five years. Yeah. So, I mean, th- this was the first official one in Bloomberg, and you know the the uh, fact is we we are out there looking to raise money. Yeah. And we have been for a while because this uh, whiskey distills a beast. I bet. Yeah. And uh, you know we're looking at bigger firms to raise money from and. Mm. Um, so, I mean, as much as I respect Pernod and what they've done and stuff, uh, no, the rumor's not true. So, yeah. Um, so, then, yeah, because you would think that 
it's not so rumor milly. Like the whiskey guys, we're just kind of cool, you know. We just sip and drink whiskey. But a lot of people ask me about that. Like, oh, you're gonna be talking to Dave? I'm like, yeah. I said, yeah. oh, so they're gonna sell. We I keep hearing they're gonna sell. Is that even I mean, on your radar? Is that the well? Game I mean, we have here? investors, so, so sure. certainly it's on the radar. I mean, I because uh, we have investors, and yeah. you know, the question is, well, you know, ten years ago when we raised the money, you know, the, there there was an expectation with investors that somehow you need to get them out. It's called you know getting them liquidity. Right. Right. Um, how you get liquidity is always on anybody's mind that raises money from outside people. Yeah. So, you know, there's a few ways to satisfy that. You know, a long time ago, you do an IPO. Mm-hmm. Um, I, p- companies don't do that now. You have to be much bigger, and it's very expensive, and you have to have lawyers. And, yeah. um, so that doesn't happen very often. Or what's very common, you raise money from what's called outside private equity firms. Right. And um, Or you can raise money, you know, you can go to Diageo per node, and sometimes they'll give you, like, a venture capital investment. Interesting. Um, you know, because... They well, so for instance, one of them was uh, Bacardi had some money in Angels Envy, and then this last year they bought Angels Envy. So mm-hmm. you know they right. they seed them, and you know they might work, they might not, but it's an investment to see if it works. And um, I think they had uh, an investment in Compass Box. Really? Yeah. So, so it, what it, I'm trying to think about what the business model is for them. Then it's like let's start take Angels Envy for example. So Bacardi. Uh-huh. Giving them is it a loan? Is it actual equity that they're giving up? To well, it'd be it'd be equity that yeah. they give up, but then you know Bacardi exercised that and and paid them for it and Got bought it. it. Yeah. So you know, do we do something like that? We're trying to answer that now. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Uh, well, but we need money. You know, when you start filling barrels in a big way, and then you sit them for six years, it's very expensive. Well, first you have to find a place to sit them. Yeah. that's expensive. We're in the middle of that right now. So we just built a plant that has room for four fifteen hundred gallon pots. Wow, we have one. And as we add those others, you know, so you, it's just this beast oh, right. you have it to keeps feed. Increasing, yeah. And uh, you know, so that's that's on our minds all a lot. So uh, that's you know, uh, so the fact that the rumor came out was interesting. Uh, yeah. But indeed, you know, we're looking for money and trying to figure out how to feed the beast. So it's amazing. Well, I mean, the kind of growth you guys are experiencing and the brand value and the brand expansion itself, just in people understanding High West and the mm-hmm. excuse mm-hmm. you guys, it's becoming very large i mean it keeps expanding expanding and that's kind of what i think gets on people's radars you know angels and we did that that mm-hmm. same thing mm-hmm. just in the general business or rather in the general sense of whiskey how do you feel about this era a lot of and i, I hate using the word craft but let's just consider that a production capacity term right so how do you that's feel fair. about that's that fair. right now a lot of new people making new whiskeys from all over in Wyoming even now, which is a crazy thought. In Wyoming, yeah. yeah. Um, I think it's great. You know, it, it's good for the consumer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good. I mean, it's really, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about the consumer. It's good for the consumer because there's more choice. And when there's more choice and more competition, everybody gets better. Yeah. So the product's getting better. Uh, so at the end of the day, you know, I'm a free marketeer, and I think it's great for the consumer. Now, as a competitor, <laughs> um, it's, you know, you, you know, we were in Twins yesterday, and, and oh my God, on the, the whiskey aisle. It's crazy. I've never seen so many whiskeys. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a consumer, it's overwhelming. How do you, you know, how do you know what to pick? So then, you know, we have to double down on our game and be really good. And, you know, we've been hiring really good people and right. um, people that have been in the business that know how to compete and win, uh, you know, because you want to stay in business. Sure. So, uh, you know, so it's good for the consumer uh, at the end of the day because that's who votes, and you know, it makes us sharper, makes us sharpen our pencils on our quality. Yeah, and so I think the consumer wins. I think so too. I mean, yeah. those options are great. I think there will be some ramifications, as there has been with agave, and mm-hmm. I think that you know some of the stuff you guys were blending with from Indiana. Mm-hmm. I imagine that's obviously with so many more people using that kind of model where they're just bottling it out there. There's going to be a shortage at some point, I imagine. Well, I mean, depends on how you define shortage. Yeah. But uh, I mean, supply and demand kind of goes in cycles, and you know, they they kind of work themselves back. So certainly, demand has increased a lot because mm-hmm. there's more people out there that really like whiskey, and you can't just create more six-year-old whiskey immediately. Right. Right. Um, so almost every major company's expanded capacity. You know, I think there was. Uh, a billion dollars invested in the last five years in whiskey capacity. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, so, you know, right now there's some hard times getting H Statement, Knob Creek, or Elijah right. Craig, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Right. I mean, that'll that'll cycle back once this new capacity comes online. Yeah. 
Um, and, you know, we don't have any problem getting MGP stuff because we've had a long-term contract with them, and we oh, buy good. more and more every year. It's just the new guys coming in, they may not. You can't buy old stuff anymore. That's yeah. That's the issue. All the old stuff's gone. But to buy new stuff, I, you know, it might. I don't know. It might be hard to sign up at MGP and get new stuff. But, yeah. Um, they've added capacity too. So, it's it's a beautiful problem to have because it. Yeah. You know, you, I keep reading about when I wasn't drinking bourbon in the eighties. I wasn't allowed to yet, but mm-hmm. that it wasn't much of a thing. People didn't pay it a lot of mind. Not a lot of American whiskey just kind of. Eh, it's just low quality. They they thought it wasn't. So now the fact that you have like this resurgence of one of the most native art forms of America, yeah, you know, bourbon or rock, you know, and I think it's a lovely time. It's great for everybody. Yeah. yeah. So you do the pharma thing; it's one of the chapters. You do the whiskey thing, and are doing that, looking to expand in a great way. Mm. Your staff has expanded. So I imagine. Do you if you do you think about what those days look like beyond the distillery? Um. Not yet, just because we have so much unfinished business at the distillery. Yeah. Like we just opened a new plant mm-hmm. a year and a half ago. Well, it's a year and three quarters, I guess. Um, and it has the capacity to do a couple hundred thousand cases. Wow. We have one of four stills. And, uh, you know, we've been working it for about a year. And so, you know, we still have a lot of product optimization to do. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to make good whiskey. Yeah, I bet. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of variables, a lot of places to screw up. Uh, and to really understand cause and effect. And, you know, we haven't really gone through a, a product cycle yet where we've had eight stuff out there on the market that's our own. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, where you can tweak variables and have the next generation. I mean, we're we're not really there yet. Yeah. So we have a lot of learning to do left. And so it's really about the next phase for us is perfecting the product and growing into our britches at the new plant. That's amazing so. the amount of expansion. It's really impressive, man, mm. to create this, to craft an idea and just blow it up, you know, especially mm. in, in basically, you know, it's funny. So when, when I post this episode, I'll, I'll copy all the Utah people that I know. They'll be mm. ecstatic because mm. it's done so much for that scene. That's, know, I think they're really excited about it. I mean, it. lots changed in Utah. You know, yeah. the, the food scene's changed and, you know, we've got, I mean, how many breweries now? Man. We've got 10 distilleries. That's insane. But, you know, the whole country's changing, really, which is good. I mean, it's for the better. I mean, the, the food has gotten so much better in the last... I mean, I, I travel a lot. Yeah. And in 10 years, I mean, the restaurants and everywhere have gotten so much better. It's good for us. It is. <laughs> good it's good for the consumer, you know. Yeah. So, again, you know, I, I think the, at the end of the day, the consumer wins yeah. uh, with the proliferation of all these things. You know, we care about our food now. It is, and it's we fun. care about the process and all that. And that's why I think a lot yeah. of people dive into the High West operating model. You know, like, will they blend? And again, back to your point, that's something really worth talking about and exploring because it's it takes a certain kind of maestro to pair those flavors together and take different lightness, different heaviness, you know. It There's takes practice. I mean, I think it's something anybody can get good at if you do it enough, well, I, anything, I would think, yeah. you know. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's uh, fun to do. It's amazing. People care about it. That makes it even more fun, you know. So I want to ask you one last question. Sometimes the guys that are... I can tell you're a film fan, which is an amazing thing. Uh, nature fan, mountains, whiskey. So if you found yourself at a beautiful hotel bar sipping some High West, who in all of history would you want to have a drink with at the bar? <laughs> That's fair. I, you know, I think I'd probably go back to Mark Twain or Richard Burton. I think they're both fascinating yeah. people. I mean, Richard Burton, uh, you know, he didn't have the iPhone, he didn't have Siri, he didn't have MapQuest, didn't have GPS. I mean, he, you know... Found his way to the fucking source of the Nile. <laughs> and this movie, Mountains of the Moon, kind yeah. of talks about that. You know, they went through hell. Yeah. And then you kind of get that in the movie, and it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, they didn't know what they were going to find. Yeah. You know, and it, who knows how much. But, I mean, he wrote prolifically, so I'm sure the movie was based on his writings. I but, bet, yeah. you know, these tribes, that they didn't speak their language, and you didn't know if they were going to be friendly. and If they're going to eat you. If they're going to eat you yeah. or whatever. And you'll if you see the movie, you'll, you'll see that part. But, you know, my goodness. But, you know, then he went to Mecca. And, you know, there's a white guy going to Mecca, and there's a story about it. You know, he uh, he uh, dyed his skin dark. Did he really? And, uh, you know, there was really no way they'd figure him out, but he was he was uh, urinating. And a boy saw him urinating. And, of course, we're circumcised. Uh, well, not, not everybody, but, you know. Right, 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 right. If you're, and so, you know, the boy saw him, and, and so to not be ratted out, he killed the boy. That's but th- I mean, think about that. You know, I mean, so and then you know, he came to Salt Lake. He came to Salt Lake to write about the Mormons. Yeah. 
he wrote about uh, you know Buddhism. Um, he, he had a big long book on uh, uh, the Kama Sutra. Yeah, oh, uh, I mean, he's an amazing <laughs> guy. So you know he'd be a he'd be a neat guy. But I think Mark Twain's just so funny. Yeah. You know. I don't know why I'd go dark and brooding. I actually would maybe want to get a drink with Richard Burton, Richard Burton from the 60s. <laughs> I, you know, I mean, anybody that uh, was married to Liz Taylor, you know, I mean. They put up with some shit, didn't they? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I guess so. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, I, I think, I never thought of that, but you know, now that I'm throwing down on those guys, they were interesting guys. I mean, I'm, I'm intrigued for sure. Yeah, David, it's, it's really been a pleasure getting to learn more about you. Well, thank you. Getting to learn more about the distillery, and I'll see you tonight at the Whiskeys of the World, so. You didn't even have a crib sheet. You, you had that all in your head. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. It's a lot of coffee. Caffeine really <laughs> helps those neurons fire, right? Fair enough. I, I appreciate that. Well, awesome. Thank you for the question. Good, uh, good dialogue. Yeah. Thanks. It was really brilliant. And enjoy Vox on your way out. All right. Cool. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Vox is a cool Thanks. place. Well, there we have it. The iconic blender founder of High West Whiskey, Mr. David Perkins, ultra cool guy. Talked about some of the equipment I've got in this room, some guitars, some old Yamaha monitors after the conversation ended. And he's just the guy you want to hang out with. I mean, I just want to go see a classic movie from the 70s. with He talks about Robert Redford. He talks about Mark Twain. And obviously his business acumen and his shrewdness in this whiskey industry has led to an amazing opportunity with Constellation Brands. Again, $160 million. That's a massive amount of money. And I talked to David just the other day. And David will still be the rock star, the face, the touring ambassador. But I believe he's going to step out of operations a bit. And I think that that's been his capacity for just a little bit of time now. So we'll see what this transition looks like. But I think it's going to be an amazing opportunity for High West to be even larger and bigger and better than before. So thanks everybody for listening to Show to V with Mike G. No matter which Halloween movie in the series you're on, which I am going to watch part five shortly, or what kind of candy you're going to snack on because you buy too much to feed the kids that come do the trick-or-treating in your neighborhood, please keep dancing.